Hi, my name is Matt Dana, and I'm the managing general partner of Dana Whiting Law, and this is our newest associate. My name is Hallie Tessendorf. I'm um, an Arizona native. Nice to have Hallie. Hallie joined the firm about a year ago. <laughs> how, how time flies when we're having fun, it right? Does. It really does. And uh, Hallie was brought into the firm primarily to do probate trust administration, and probate's one of these mysteries to. to the common uh, everyday person. I mean, I, I hear people all the time talk about the, the, the fear of probate or probate's terrible or probate this or probate that. But then you ask them, really, what is probate, Hallie? And it's hard for them to wrap their arms around. And I think maybe even when you joined the firm a year ago, mm -hmm. it was probably somewhat of a mystery for you, Absolutely. probate. And so I, I want to start out, Hallie, uh, what... I would give us a very common definition of what probate is and see if people can wrap their arms around it. But essentially, when somebody dies, probate is a court procedure. It's done through the county court, die in Maricopa County Court. And it's really the procedure that the law has in place to pass assets from the decedent to his heirs. And so probate wants to make sure the titles passed to the, to the appropriate people. Probate wants to make sure taxes are current. They want to make sure all creditors are current. They want to make sure that the will is valid. They want to make sure the people that are receiving are properly identified and found. And so it's, it's really a, a, a procedure for passing title. It's that simple. And people sometimes ask, well, what triggers a probate? And, and I always, when I was in law school, we always talked about probate as a chain of title. So think about, think about when you buy a piece of real estate, somebody deeds and signs over title to you. And that deed from them to you is a chain. And you can actually go to a title company and you, you can research that chain all the way back up to where that land came from the United States government. I've, I've done that with my cabin. It's fun to see how that, that piece of property that I own on the rim, I can, I can trace that chain backwards. Well, what happens if somebody dies and that title's in their name and they haven't made proper arrangements to avoid probate, the chain's broken. Mm -hmm. Because I can have a will that says, when I die, leave these assets to my, to my wife or to my kids, but there's no mechanism to sign the, the title over to my wife and kids. The chain's broken. And so probate actually comes in, and through the probate court, the probate procedure, they're actually the ones that do the deed. And the, the deed comes out of the probate to my wife and kids. Now the chain's connected. And so, you know, Hallie, you've been working in probates, uh, uh, you know, for the last year. I mean, what are the kind of the common questions you get from people about probate and the process, and what do you tell them? I think the biggest question first is, as you said, how, when does probate get um, triggered? And often that's uh, depending on what assets the decedent owned when they passed away. And in Arizona, if you have set more than $75,000 of tangible property or more than $100,000 of equity in real property, then the probate court is going to need to be um, used to transfer those assets from the decedent to the beneficiaries. Yeah, so the first thing is, if the assets are relatively small, like somebody dies and they own a car and it's 
10, 20,000 to 10 to 20,000 dollars. You don't need a probate. You can do what I call a mini probate, which is essentially a, a personal property affidavit. And there's ways to, to, to connect that chain. But most people, when they die, they're going to have, when we talk about personal property, we're talking about something with a title. Mm -hmm. Now you look around this room and I have bronzes and I have paintings and I have artwork and those things have value, but there's not a title to them. So those aren't going to necessarily go through probate. There's no chain to connect. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about an automobile or a bank account or a piece of real estate or or a stock or a bond, those are all forms of title that, now we're going to get into a minute, there's ways to avoid probate, and, and I think that's really what our listeners want to learn is how to avoid it, but I think before they learn how to avoid it, they have to really understand what it is. It's a function of a title, and it's a function of, somebody's flying into the golf tournament, <laughs> it's a function of, uh, of connecting that title. Now, the probate procedure, walk, walk me through just briefly, somebody dies, we've got a broken chain, there's a piece of real estate, the client has a will that says the, the client's single and he dies and he wants, he wants this property to go to his son Johnny. Now, walk me through the, the process of how a probate's opened and how we get authority through that probate. Okay. So the first thing we'll do is look at the will and see if there's been a person who is chosen to be, be the personal representative under that will. Yeah, that's a fun, fancy word for an executor, mm -hmm. personal representative. Yeah. Okay, so who, who, who's going to be in charge of this probate? Mm -hmm. Exactly, and so if that happens to be whomever it is, we're going to draft and prepare documents for them that says to the court, this is a person who has authority to go around and collect all the assets owned by the decedent, um, kind of marshal them, keep them safe during this administration, and then distribute them to the beneficiaries where the person wants everything to go. Yeah. Um, so so you, start with, you start with filing a pile of papers. Yeah. And you say, court, here's a pile of papers, and we're going to give you a copy of the guy's will. We're going to give you a death certificate. We're going to tell you he died in Maricopa County. We're going to tell you that the will names, uh, uh, you know, Johnny is the executor of the estate. And we're going to tell the court all that, and we're going to file it. Mm -hmm. And what does the court do when they get that pile of papers? They review it, um, and then they're going to stamp our letters of PR, our letters of personal representative, which is the meal ticket for that personal representative to go around and start collecting assets. That's his authority. Yes. Okay, so the, you're going to file that, pot, that pile of papers. The court's going to stamp it. The, the clerk of the court's going to stamp it, and he's going to certify. You called it letters testamentary. But that's his authority. It's almost like his power of attorney. Mm -hmm. Powers of attorney die when clients die. So powers of attorney are no good. Mm -hmm. But when the court stamps that authority, now that guy's got, we'll call it power of attorney. Mm -hmm. And then you said during this process, his number one duty is to collect assets. And sometimes that's kind of a, a puzzle. We're not sure what dad owned. We're not sure where the bank accounts are. We're not sure. That's where if dad was a little bit more organized, a little bit more proactive and had a nice folder that said, here's my assets and here's my relatives and here's, here's my bank accounts, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times people die and they don't have that. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to figure out the assets during this process. And we're trying to protect them. If there's a house, we want to keep the insurance current. If there's a car, insurance current. We want to protect the assets. We want to collect them. And during that process, what do we prepare to let the court know what we found? So 
the first step once we receive back those letters testamentary is that we have to notify everybody who is listed in the will, um, a surviving spouse, any heirs, that a probate has been started. We then have 90 days to produce an inventory of everything with, that we believe the estate holds and give that to all the beneficiaries as well. Okay, an inventory. Mm -hmm. So typically that's an Excel spreadsheet that we prepare. We help this executor put this spreadsheet together. And so then we go to the probate court and said, here's all the assets we could find. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about, we've notified the beneficiaries, we've given them copies of the will. Probate's very transparent. It, it wants the kids to know what the will was. It wants the kids to know what the assets are. It's very transparent. And then you talked about, we've got to notify creditors. Mm -hmm. And so, known creditors, we've got to write them a letter and say, you know, dad died, we, we know we owe you $5,000, we're opening a probate, we're going we're gonna to get you paid. But how do we find unknown creditors? How do we know what creditors dad has? How do we, don't, what, how do we find out if whether he loaned money or borrowed money from the neighbor? They're a creditor. We publish notice in a newspaper in the county where the decedent passed away for three times over a three, uh, six week period, and that gives them notice that they need to come let us know if they have a claim. Yeah, no, that's interesting. We always find that we publish in a newspaper. I wonder how many people actually look at that newspaper. Uh, I, I, I guess the takeaway here, if you've loaned, loaned money to somebody's elderly and you're out of state, you don't know whether they died or not. Uh, maybe I, but, but it has to be just in any newspaper. So you'd almost have to look at a lot of newspapers. I mean, in Maricopa County, what, what do we normally publish in? The Record Reporter. Yeah. But it could be. That's kind of an official court yeah. report. Where a lot type. of different notices appear. All right, so we're moving along. We inventoried the estate. We've collected the assets. We've, we've, we've safeguarded the assets. We've paid off creditors. Uh, IRS, we've notified them. We've asked them, hey, IRS, do we owe any back taxes? Mm -hmm. IRS comes back and said, no, you don't owe us anything. And over a four-month period, no new creditors come forward, so we, we've identified all the creditors. After four months, they're, they're done, right? Correct, they yeah, can, they're they, they, they can't come back. So if I loan money to somebody and they die, and I don't do anything within four months, right. uh, it, it's, pr it's pretty much over, mm -hmm. right? Game over. So now, now what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with those assets? We're going to look at what the will states. Hopefully it tells us maybe there are some specific gifts, some like the residence needs to go to somebody, or maybe there is just I want it to split between my children equally. So we want to kind of create a proposed distribution plan that yeah. we'll send out to everybody and kind of get approval. Yeah, because you might, you might have a will that says uh, give it equally to my three kids. Sounds simple. Okay, well, what do you do when... There's a cabin worth three hundred thousand. There's a house worth five hundred thousand, and there's stocks and bonds worth a couple hundred thousand. How are we going to do that? You know, you know, are we going to divide the cabin where they each get a third? Are we going to divide the house where they each get a third? Divide the stocks and bonds where they each get a third? Generally, we're not. We're going to say the total bundle of assets worth a million dollars, and each one of you kids are going to get three hundred thirty-three thousand. And then we might go to the kids and say, you know what, you're each going to get 330000 Does somebody want to take their share and offset it against the house? Mm -hmm. Does somebody want to take their share and offset it against the cabin? I mean, we give them a chance mm -hmm. if they want, want that to be their, their inheritance. But if nobody steps forward, we're going to sell the house. Mm -hmm. We're going to sell the cabin. We're going to sell the stocks and bonds. 
And we talked about in another podcast we just did a few minutes ago how when somebody dies, you get a step up in base. So assets can be sold, capital gains are forgiven. And you know, cash is very easily distributable. Now we know each, each person's gonna get $333,000. And we're gonna send them, like, I like the way you said, a proposed plan. We're gonna say beneficial, because we're representing the executor. Our, our, our job is to protect that personal representative. And so we don't want him to be sued. We don't want him to get in trouble. So we send out the plan to the three beneficiaries and say, this is what we plan to do. If anybody objects, they can come forward and say, no, nah, we don't like that plan. And we can try to resolve it. If we can't resolve it with them, then we go back to court and say, hey, probate judge. This is what we propose. Beneficiaries didn't like it. This is what they propose. And the probate judge will help us work that out mm -hmm. and, and get it where everybody's happy with the plan. And that's what probate is. If, 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 if there's problems, we're going to work them out. If, if we want to sell the house and one of the beneficiaries thinks, you're selling the house too low. What do you mean you're selling it for $300,000? Uh, you know, my, my neighbor's a real estate lady and she told me they could sell it for $500,000. Well, let's go into probate court and, and we can duke that out. And so probate court's there to solve all those problems. And now finally, we got the plan, everything's cash, we're ready to distribute. Uh, uh, we want those beneficiaries to do what before we're gonna send them a check? What, what are we really concerned about now? Uh, it's important that they release the trustee from, or the personal representative from liability in their role in this probate. And also we ask them to waive a final counting, accounting of the probate state. Yeah, there again, we represent the executor. We're not gonna send money to a beneficiary and then have them turn around and sue us. So we're gonna say, here's the plan, this is what we're gonna do. Now before we send you your check, sign this release, release my client, the executor from liability, and waive off the need for a formal accounting. In other words, we don't wanna hire a CPA and do a double entry system and, and have a formal accounting. Now, if they won't waive off on that, then that's what we'll do. We'll go hire the CPA, we'll get the double entry accounting. Uh, we, we want, a lot of times it's just a matter of saying, hey, here's the assets, here's the expenses we had. I mean, that's, that's an accounting enough. Mm -hmm. and, and then we, you know, they sign the waiver release, we issue the check, mm -hmm. game's over. Yeah. Then we file another stack of papers with the probate court saying, you know what, game's over, mm -hmm. everything went good, we distributed the assets, we paid the IRS, everybody's happy, mm -hmm. story ends. So, I guess when you say, Hallie, wouldn't you agree that probate's really, probate's just a referee to the family mm -hmm. to make sure we settle the affairs fairly. Mm -hmm. Make sure we pay creditors, make sure we pay taxes, make sure the kids are all happy, make sure we've got the valid will. Probate's just there when we need Big Brother to step in and help referee these problems. Yeah, I agree. I think Arizona has made it very simple with the informal probate process that the, the executor really has the ability to kind of move through the process on their own and not be too restricted unless they need the guidance yeah. or the referee. The court doesn't want to get involved with this stuff if the family can work it out. Yeah. They're, they're there for the things that we can't work out. Mm -hmm. and, and let's talk about probate fees for a minute because that's a mystery to a lot of people. And, and start with the proposition, Arizona is not like California. California has statutes, state statutes, that says if somebody dies, the probate fees 
will be a percentage of the estate. You might have one house in California that's worth a million dollars. One house that would be very easy to probate. Mm -hmm. But that statutory fee, I've been told, is somewhere around three to four. You could be talking thirty to forty thousand dollars to probate that. In Arizona, you, you mentioned it. We follow the, the Uniform Trust Code, and our, our our laws are simpler and more unified with other states. And in our state, you can't have a percentage fee. It's illegal. And, and, and so, if an attorney quotes you, "Hey, I'll do it for five percent of the estate," that's that's illegal or I should say unethical, which is the same as illegal. But in Arizona, we charge hourly rates. Mm -hmm. And so you meet with an attorney, uh, you know, you meet with our office, we'll sign an hourly rate fee engagement. Uh, your hourly rate will be here, my hourly rate will be there, we've got paralegals there, hourly rate. And when we do work in our office, we push that work down to the lowest hourly rate. So if we're collecting assets and doing an inventory, that's not you or, you or me at our higher hourly rates. It's a paralegal doing that. You know, we're, we're there again to give direction and, and supervision. But uh, it, it is a very, it's a very fair process. And, and in the end, I, I think justice prevails. Now the problems that, that, that make probate more complicated would be family businesses very difficult to untangle, as you can imagine, especially if you have Johnny and Susie that worked in the family business and you've got three other kids that did not work in the business. And Johnny and Susie start to think, well, it's not fair that everybody gets an equal share. We should be get a greater share. We've earned that. And so there should be other planning with, with family businesses. And, and I think just to plant the seed, I think that family needs a buy-sell agreement with the business that talks about who gets the business and how much they pay for that. And that's really separate from the, from the will. Mm -hmm. The will talks in general terms. I give my estate, my asset in equal shares. But you can have a buy-sell agreement on top of that that says, well, with, with respect to the business, mm -hmm. the day I die, Johnny and Susie are going to buy it. Mm -hmm. And Johnny and Susie are going to buy it for a million dollars. So my assets, the million dollars, not the business. Johnny and Susie get the business. And so that makes it more complicated. And, and then I think we, we talk about you know, maybe a, a jointly owned piece of real estate. Maybe it's a ranch that maybe some of the kids already have interest. Makes it more complicated. S certainly, the more the assets are worth, taxes become a consideration. But I think we've done a nice job talking about, uh, about what probate is. And just for a minute here, um, I want to just transition what's different when somebody has a trust mm -hmm. and, and, and they don't have a will. So on, on, once people understand this probate process, I think it's very easy to understand a trust. With a trust, the process is really identical to what we just talked about. The trustee, instead of the executor, now he has to inventory the assets. He has to safeguard them. He has to insure them. He has to settle debts. He has to make sure IRS is okay. So people need to understand uh, a, a trust can save money, but there's a lot of things that a trust still has to do that a probate has to do. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those steps still need to take place. So if anybody thinks because they have a trust, 
They don't need to hire a lawyer. They, they can settle the estate on their own. Big fallacy, mm -hmm. right? I would say the only, I'd say two differences with a trust versus a will. I think the only two differences, a trust doesn't have to go through probate, so you don't have a court supervising. It's the trustee that already has the authority to do these things. Mm -hmm. He already has the authority to transfer assets. He already has the authority to sell the house. Uh, he doesn't need the court to, to intervene. He's got that authority. Now, if one of the beneficiaries disagree with what he's doing, we almost end up in probate anyway. Mm -hmm. You file a petition with the court and say, court, we've got this trust. Trustee wants to do this. Beneficiaries want to do that. We can't get them to agree, referee this. But re really, the only difference between a trust and a probate is the trustee has the authority without court supervision, unless we need it. And the other thing is, is we don't have to go through the court to transfer assets to connect the chain of title. The trustee already has it. But what do you want to add to that? Because you do a lot of trust administration uh, in lieu of probate because people die and their assets are in a trust. But what, what are your comments on that? How would you compare uh, uh, trust administration to a probate procedure? I agree that I think there feels to be, um, with that less oversight, it's more freeing. And I think that people feel more comfortable knowing that their assets are in this trust and that they've already been transferred there and there won't be some kind of mistake. Yeah. We have some concern that we create this trust for clients and then they don't end up funding it. Yeah. And so we have to go to probate anyways. And so when you've really used your estate plan wisely and you've put everything in the trust, you're making it easier for your children or your subsequent trustee to know where to go to look for things. Everything's already yeah. there in one bucket. I think that's really helpful. I think also you can do this through the will, but it's more difficult as you're providing some benefits to a surviving spouse, to a child, through creating trusts that provide credit protection for their lifetime that we can establish right now and um, kind of educate now our clients how to handle, and then those protections transfer after they're passing. That's a good point because in a will, you basically say, I die, distribute to Johnny and Susie, and everybody goes home. In a trust, you can say, when I die, divide the trust into two separate trusts, one trust for Johnny, one trust for Susie, mm -hmm. that continues. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you hit the key points. Now Johnny and Susie have credit or protection. If, if they get divorced or they get in a car accident, credit, creditors cannot penetrate that trust. But yet Johnny and Susie have access to it. Mm -hmm. And with the trust, we can get a little bit more elaborate. Rather than giving Johnny Susie an outright inheritance at age 21 or age 18 or whatever it is, you can say, you know what? Why don't we give Johnny and Susie the income from this trust while they're under the age of 35 and maybe we'll give them one-third of the trust when they're uh, say uh, 25 and one-third of the trust at 30 and one-third of the trust at 35 we can be a little bit more calculated mm -hmm. in, 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 in making sure Johnny and Susie can manage that in pieces mm -hmm. and I think that's very well said and you've got you've got minor children I mean, you can't, you can't die and leave your assets to minor children. A court would have to get involved, and a guardianship would have to be in place, and a conservatorship would have to be in place. So, so tell me what type of a trust you would do for your minor children. What, what are some of the things you'd think about? 
I think a couple of things where we want to have the trustee making the discretion as to how to make distributions when they're young. And they would work with the guardian of our children, which we've appointed in our will. Now, we'd give them, we'd give them some guidelines for we want you to take care of the health and education and the support maintenance. I think there are, like you said, some, some advantages to being able to give principal at, di at different ages, but there is also this opportunity to kind of hand over the reins to our children as they get older to manage this trust for themselves. And once, you know, they reach maybe 35, I would want, I would believe that they have the ability to manage their finances and then can start kind of managing it for themselves. No, isn't, isn't it interesting we started about talking about probate help people understand that then we got into what a trust administration does and really we've circled back now and identified what's the benefit of having a trust over a will mm -hmm. and, and and i think you hit those points very well well i think that's enough for today hallie and i would just invite our listeners uh certainly if if somebody in their family has passed away and they find themselves they're named as the executor of the will or they're the trustee of the trust uh, we offer initial free consultation to come in and talk to us, yeah. and then we can give them some guidance from there. And if, if, if our listeners haven't already done so, I'd invite them to take a look at our website, which is at DanaWhitingLaw.com. And uh, Hallie, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Matt.